0: Folks, Brock Lurie on the Brock Lurie podcast today. Uh, we have a uh, very special guest, a very uh, handsome and uh, fun and brilliant man. His name is Peter Eastwood. Uh, he has become a good friend over the uh, the past year or so, and uh, we've gotten to uh, work with each other, and uh, I've gotten to know some of his friends as well. Um, Peters is is an exceptional man. Um, He's got an exceptional history, and that's really why I want him on this podcast today. We'll be talking about a couple of issues, particularly the Arizona election and the Fauci email situation and the whole new finding that the virus, the COVID virus, likely had come from a lab, Uh, quite contrary to the initial narrative that it uh, had come from a bat. What an absurd concept that was a long time ago. I never believed it. And here we are. So, uh, Peter, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, your background, because, first of all, you're, you're a gay gentleman, and uh, you happen to be conservative. Which, to your mind, and then I want to get to your background, which, to your mind, has been more difficult to espouse and share with the world, uh, it, you know, in, in your opinion?
1: Being conservative, especially right now, being gay was very easy. I mean, it was authentic. It was transparent before that was a thing. I was just myself and it was always accepted. Never had a problem until there was a problem, <laughs> and then it became a huge problem, but... You know, I was already an adult by then. I learned how to take care of myself and, and live. And um, pain it has, is, you know, no stranger to me. But it has been more painful <clears throat> to be conservative than it has been to be gay. Because being conservative, I have literally had other gay acquaintances or friends tell me they were no longer my friends because of the conservative <clears throat> views for being a Republican. I have experienced firsthand the craziness of our citizenry, our woke, uh, progressive Democrat citizenry. I mean, they're hostile and they're dangerous.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And it's scary um, because when you're a person who has lived his whole life with basically no wars. Yes, I, I, I remember Vietnam as a child, and we've had conflicts, of course, in the Middle East. But hardly, we we just have been a country, a wonderful country, and we have kept foreign bombs off of our soil and invasions off of these contiguous 48, except for the towers. But the worst thing I ever remember was, like, you know, learning the duck and cover uh, for the Cold War as a kid and that was on its way out. So my life has been really, really, really good. The American dream. Yeah. Being conservative has made me feel like I'm isolated and alone and I can't be honest about anything.
0: Yeah, the, the terrifying part of what you're saying is that it's, uh, it's worse for you as a gay man to become conservative. So, uh, look, I'm conservative. Um, people don't necessarily know that I'm Jewish, but as soon as they do, they, then, they, then they get angry. I mean, it's one thing if you're just a white, straight male uh, and you're Christian, let's say, and you're conservative. Well, they kind of, you know, expect that because, you know, you're just stupid and you're not woke. uh, And therefore, that's where conservatives belong. But there's no forgiveness if you're gay, black, Hispanic or Jewish uh, to become a conservative. And how dare you? you're you're stepping out of the narrative that uh we've already decided you belong in and for that matter the frame that we expect you to belong in uh so it's upsetting to them and they feel traitor is too strong a word but nevertheless they feel like you you, you don't jive it's it's like uh i don't know seeing somebody drive on the left side of the road it it doesn't it it, it don't it doesn't fit it makes them crazy yeah i
1: mean they are your traitors of, like, the American spirit. Um, They are treasonous in the lies that they spread and the things that they do, and they're downright mean and evil. And it's so incredible that so many people can see the same thing and interpret it completely differently. Um, There's no logic to what's going on anymore, and logic, for me, is something so basic um, that for my family and, and uh, the estrangement and all of those years too. It's, it doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. Hate in any form what I'm learning is not logical. Yeah. You can't explain it.
0: Yeah, it, it is difficult to live in this world of hate, and and there is plenty of hate, and it's coming almost exclusively from the left. It's uh, it, and to to say otherwise is to, to deny to deny reality. You said, and I think it was an interesting point, that it's a question of interpretation in different ways of seeing the same facts and interpreting it differently. Uh, I think that it's not necessarily that way. They do see the same facts, but they don't see all of the facts that you and I see. Um, they, they are very selective. A good example of this is the uh, supposed black brutality, uh, sorry, the, the white cop uh, brutality uh, upon black males, right? Or even blacks, generally speaking, right? So you and I would say, uh, well, I mean, everyone looking at that would say, "Well like George floyd, for example, or what 's his name the, the kid from Ferguson uh, Big well evie brown yes that's that 's the one so brown Michael, brown Michael Brown so they would say, "Well, look at this, oh my gosh, you know it, 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 that 's their universe of police confrontations, and therefore uh, it 's always a white cop against a black male, and therefore uh whites are are uh, whatever you call it, predominantly uh, beating up. Like, but but if you but t- if, actually you know, took the statistics, completely contrary to that, right? Of course it Come is. Back. And and so now you bring in the actual facts, uh, and you see that in fact the massive amount of arrests and killings are upon um, white white gentlemen, and those are the ones who are being killed as well by by vast uh, disproportion. So. Uh, and you might say well that 's because there are many more whites there in America no 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 no, not necessarily proportionally it 's actually no, more aren't there more whites Twelve to eighteen percent african american black people
1: in america I that's mean, thats a that is correct small percentage that 's correct how can they uh, uh, why do they take the majority of all of this violent crime um, and not being black i 'm very clear that i 'm not black and <laughs> um, but it doesn 't make me not able to understand people 's Journey, people's plights, all right? Okay, the shoes that I wear have been heavily laden with, you know, stuff. Right. The black community has been hit with stuff. I think George Floyd was the, the, the evidence of that. There's not a single person on this planet that didn't see that, and whether we think, like, well, you know, the knee was on the shoulder or the windpipe, uh, nonetheless, it was all just so wrong and so cruel and... um but you, we don't know what the other camera angles were. You know, there are other aspects to the story.
0: Well, and not only that, but they didn't have uh, any I- indication or indicia of racism involved. I mean, the, you know, the, the trial was appropriately a trial about police excessive force. Got it. Understood. But it, in no sense could you say that this is a, ra- a, a situation of racism. If it were a... If, if uh, Chauvin, the, the cop, were to do exactly the same thing upon another white man uh, with the same height and everything, same build, uh, I don't think we'd be getting this uh, sort of story whatsoever. And the only reason why it was, it was because the pigment of a skin, and which really had nothing to do whatsoever with that. So uh, going back to your main point, because I don't want to drill down too much on the George Floyd matter, um, your point is a great one, which is that they, they interpret things differently, but, but they only see certain facts that they choose to see. And that applies not just to police brutality, but also to global warming. It applies to the COVID response. Uh, COVID's a very good example, exactly. You and I, I remember in the very beginning of all this, uh, we were talking about how nobody's really talking about how it affects every other things like the depression, uh, the lost jobs, the, uh, the hunger, the uh, spousal abuse, the child abuse, um, uh, drug addictions, and such. Uh, that was going to have a consequence. And they just couldn't give a damn. So it's a question of interpretation, like you said. But they don't hear the other very important facts. So they, they really are tunnel visioned in one area, and that's the problem. The so and, and that's difference. where you're guilty of, of being gay and conservative. They they can't. That, that's their tunnel vision.
1: But, but, but the facts seem to be different in their rule book. And I'm talking to the the, the BLM um, faction of the black population it's here this is a, a great example and i wanted to tell you this today um we all know what it's like to be pulled over by a peace officer a traffic stop uh, uh you know uh, a freeway stop by a chp we all know that not a single person of any color of any uh, you know male or female is not shaken by that experience but I heard one of our representatives and, you know, she was very, very incensed about why do I have to train myself for traffic stops? Why do I have to tell myself there is a protocol and a checklist of behaviors that is appropriate and that is not appropriate? And I thought to myself, well, you've got to do that because i got to do that. Right. I mean, we all have to do that. What is the problems, yeah, you right. know. Yeah. that's called equality. That's equality, right? That's equality. but yeah.
0: right. yeah. well, they have no idea that that they that other people might have to do the same thing,
2: right? And apply the same uh, 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 construct to using the bathroom. Why do we have to flush? Why do we have to wash our hands? Why do we have to wipe? Right? Uh, going to the market. Why do I have to pay for these things just because <laughs> everyone else does? Right? right? I mean, any the idiocy. Of that level of thought, the 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 level of um, uh, entitlement, the that the childness that the, the childness of it, the immaturity no, is is, is the emblematic core. Uh, you hit on something so profound there. That's the emblematic core of everything we're dealing with on the left. You know, the, the idea of mask. I wear my mask for you. You wear it for me. Wait, you're gonna turn down the vaccine. What about me? Well, uh, and then and then when it comes to abortion, well, how do you tell me what to do with my body? Yeah, but what about the baby's body? It's my body. Not, <laughs> yeah, everything has that level of childness, self-centeredness on the left. Okay. It's, it's an immaturity issue.
0: Excellent point. That's, uh, all, right, all right, I like that a lot. One other point about that in particular, about being pulled over by cops. Because it reminds me of this uh, caller who called in, and, and he was black. He said he was black. And he had said that uh, a cop stopped him, and, you know, I don't know what it's like, and he said, and this is, it was Rich, he said, Brock, you know, in the past 15 years, I've been stopped by a cop seven times. Like, uh, so have I, (laughs) and that's a big deal. I mean, that's, you know, I think it'd be nice to stop maybe once in 15 years, but, Seven times? No, okay, that's
2: on average. That's that's the, that is the average, average yeah. number
0: once every two years. So th- that was one thing. And then he said, and they're stopping me because I'm black. And I said, wow. I said, what a luxury. And he goes, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I said, no, it's a great luxury you have. Again, he said, what are you talking about? I said, oh, you know, when, when I get pulled over by a cop, I assume that I've done something wrong or maybe I didn't know that I was doing something. Usually, I know that I've done something wrong, like speeding or rolling through a stop sign. Um, but what a luxury for you that you get to say to yourself, "I'm being pulled over because I'm black." Isn't that great? You get to feel like a victim, like you didn't do anything wrong. Me, I have to assume that I did something wrong. Whew, I wish I had that great luxury that you have.
2: Right, and the cop is obviously trying to get some black friends.
0: Yeah, right. And I said, yeah, exactly. So I, 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 I said to him that that. Uh, you know, it could—it was shocking to him that I got pulled over. Did you ha- did, did you ever think that maybe you got pulled over because you were engaged in a traffic violation of some kind, or because you're Attack a driver? A you're right. a driver, and you just decide that it's automatic. And, and when you tell these these stories to your friends, you, you expect them to just kind of ride along with your um, assumption as to the cause of why are you being pulled over—that you're black. Okay, therefore, here comes this racist cop. But maybe, just maybe. He's doing his frickin' job. That's the thing. Anyway, again, I, I don't want to drill down too much on this. I really want to speak more about, about uh, Peter and his background a little bit. Peter, why don't you tell me a little bit more? And wouldn't mind moving a little closer to the mic. Um, tell me a little bit more about and whatever you're comfortable with in terms of your background with your family and acceptance, uh, especially in the conservative world, it's, but even the gay world. Well, I've got a great
1: story. I mean. We all have stories, right? Um, And the more I think about it and overthink about it, is I diminish it, and it needs to be authentic and just told. Uh, Because I do believe, and I know it's so like trite, it's so current. We all have stories. Everybody puts stories on their on their platforms. Everybody does this story, story, story. We didn't even use the word stories or like you know uh, in the way we do until very recently. Um, It's a whole new vocabulary. It's it's a global. Centric, progressive, liberal, young, uh, controlling, conforming culture now, yeah. and my story is a great one, but it's pretty kind of just like normal. I am an immigrant. I'm a child of immigrant. You know, my family immigrated through Ellis Island, and um, we came from German stock, and I come from Greek stock. Um, The Greek side is just as prolific as the German side. I guess you could say crime on one side and uh, American uh, anti-environmental rapers on the other side. And what I mean by that is my family was the first strip mining, gold strip mining uh, company in California, and my great-grandpa got a bad rap for doing tons of damage up, you know, in the north counties in Sacramento. But we come from gold, and I come from a um, Greek bootlegging family. Hmm. They were the guys that made ouzo, and ouzo is a proprietary Greek beverage. It's my,
0: it's my favorite alcohol. You like favorite. ouzo? I love ouzo. And Uzo. metoxa? Yes.
1: Kay. Yes. Well, my it great grandfather was one of the cartel in Greece, like back in the 1800s, making ouzo and matoxa. And they immigrated over here, ended up in Milwaukee, and he started a still making ouzo here. And ouzo can't be made in America like in modern day. It's like proprietary to Greece. But back you know, in the 1800s, mm-hmm. I guess he was going to see what he was doing. They loved it in the neighborhood, but the still blew up and it killed my grandmother and two of my aunts that I never met. I hadn't even been born yet, but they were children. Right. And that was back in the days that he, could, he just sent back for another wife to Greece and then continued on with his bootlegging endeavors um, during Prohibition and after. We didn't really talk about it much. And none of the kids really went that way. All of the brothers, the men in the family became very, very like hard, respectable workers. Um, one uncle became a, a ship captain Ship captain of the uh, USS Manhattan, the first double-hold oil tanker that would go up from Suez and, you know, cut through ice in Alaska. Great <clears throat> man. Like, when he died in Tarpon Springs, the entire town came out, was on the street, wishing him well. A huge, you know, Greek Orthodox uh, funeral. Um, he should have been mayor or, you know, governor of Florida. And then there was my dad, the second youngest, and he he had a twin brother, and they both were decorated... Korean and World War II veterans, and also Vietnam. You could see my uncle, my dad's twin brother. He's the guy climbing that rope or that ladder on the helicopter on the at the um, um, Hanoi uh, consulate at Saigon um, when uh, Ho Chi Minh was taking over (laughs) the city. And uh, he used to tell me stories about burning. Suitcases of money so that they, you know, the communist regime couldn't get it. And he's like, they're calling and you know, Carl, you got to get up to the helicopter, you got to go get upstairs, get upstairs. And he's running upstairs. And anyway, so you watch that news. That's my uncle. So then I had the bootlegging, <coughs> that fun. And then you have my dad, very, 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 very conservative Greek. Um, Married my mother. Um, she looked like Marilyn Monroe back in the day, and it didn't work out very well. They were married for a while, and as soon as I was born, they were divorced. Hmm. And then my mother remarried, <clears throat> married the attorney, and I had a great life. I had a great life in Palo Alto, um, Bay Area, lots of stories. I, I mean, I don't want to get into that. Um, there are so many separate stories, no. but um, that's where our universes would have collided if we would have been on the same path. But. Right. The last thing I wanted to do was become an attorney. Um, my stepfather and I, so I thought, didn't get along. But once again, the narrative from media and self-help books and the psychology, um, you know, uh, area of mental health, step parents and you know stepchildren and blended families back in the '70s, it still hadn't evolved yet. And it's amazing how it hasn't evolved. Yet today, for some, yeah. it seems so clear. I mean, you know, we're here, husband and wife. The first, we didn't get along, but now this is the family we get along. Now, kids, let's all get along and have this great experience. It usually doesn't work that way. So I had these horrible, horrible stepsisters. I had three evil stepsisters, and I had a new father who was the bomb vivant of all San Jose and San Francisco. He was an attorney. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that we had a special life. I didn't know that we lived differently than other people. I didn't know that we did things that people don't do. It was normal to have a dinner party with, you know, George Moscone as a dinner guest, or Diane Feinstein, or um, some of the guy who, uh, anyway, I can't name drop because I don't remember them all, but I used to be the coat check boy for all these great political parties that my mom and dad would throw. It was great, I learned a lot, I grew up fast. I was the prodigal son until I said that I thought I was gay like my uncle. My mother had two brothers that were gay. One
0: of them was gay. Uh Two of them were gay. okay.
1: And nobody ever said the word gay in my family. No one ever said homosexual. Nobody ever said it was wrong. Nobody ever said anything negative. Nobody ever said anything. So I was left to discover, as I'm finding out so much (laughs) later on, I mean, you think parents do well or they do as best as they can, I was ill-equipped to join the world, though I thought I knew everything. And um, I was abandoned and for being just a good person. And I never knew what that was like, what that felt like. I'd heard of people in the Midwest where their family disowned them. I mean, officially disowned them. I heard of people having horrible, like, you know, if we don't get out of town, they're going to kill me or things like that. I never experienced that until... My mother took on her third husband, and it's the most insidious kind of hatred. You can't do anything about it. You can't fight it. it. It just is, and it's, I don't know if it's taught or if it's acquired, but you know, we're all raised to be somewhat decent and some more decent than others. But I don't know anybody's mother who teaches them to hate people. And it was interesting, one day when I was not feeling very well, I uh, got very sick 10 years ago, survived what was a fatal diagnosis and back in the day, everybody was dying. So, made it through that. And his mother said to me, I don't know why he treats you that way. He was raised better. But yet, this is a person who has told lies um, who has spread rumor, mm. who has been divisive and really affected my life. And um, the, the big part, of, I mean, the main part of all of that story, though there's so many stories with that, is that I survived it. I survived my parents. And if I can help one other person by talking about these things, uh, because everybody says, don't talk about it, you know, it's just laundry, you know, you know area dirty laundry. Well, they have something to hide and to fear, People have to know that you can be completely alone and there will be God will present himself.
0: I I, I love what you just said. Uh, Let me uh, just kind of chime in a little bit about this because this is such an important topic. Uh, I always tell my children that no matter what, I want you to remember this. If you ever find yourself alone, uh, let's say lost in a grocery store, lost on a deserted island, uh, lost wherever, Remember, you are not really alone. When you have God in your life, you are never alone. Talk to God. Ask God for some help. Something will happen. But you are not alone. And uh, that is a very powerful statement that you made. And that's why it evokes my, my response to it. Uh, I have found that, you know, for example, the law, the law is a very difficult business. It's, uh, there's, it's a business about conflict, at least if you're a litigator, Right. And conflict day in and day out. You're constantly battling. It's not like you know being a doctor, which is wonderful. You know, in a sense, you're dealing with conflict, right? But uh, you're doing, you're fighting against the cancer. You're fighting against the flu. You're fighting, you know, to try, you're fighting against the broken leg, yeah, whatever it might be. But the broken leg is not fighting back, <laughs> right? <laughs> the ca- the cancer doesn't say, "I have a right to be here," and you know you have to go to court to prove yourself. No, you, you it's a one-way battle. In, in, in law, it's different. <clears throat> so you're constantly dealing with this, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> tremendous conflict uh, situation. And as you get more seasoned in it, uh, though, the ones who survive, the ones who are able to not uh, fall into alcoholism and abuse and uh, sheer depression sometimes, uh, are the ones who have God in their lives. That's what I've noticed. To keep it you know, safe and sane at the same time and also develop your family. So it's, it's very nice what you said. Your story, and part of the reason why I love your story so much, Peter, is um, y- you have managed to put your family in perspective. It's very hard to not have a uh, lack of perspective. It's, in other words, it's very hard to have perspective when you don't have God. It's very hard. <clears throat> How are you gonna be able to say, well, you know what, that's my parents' problem. God loves me. God knows who I am. Um, and I'm moving forward with my life with my wonderful partner uh, and will make a great place on this planet. I'm going to do my contribution to the world. It's their problem, my parents, my family, whoever it might be. I don't know that you could do that if you didn't have God in your life. I mean, I didn't want to speak for you, but you let me know. I don't even know if I can do that now.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's very difficult. I live my life like a real renaissance man you know I'm a tough guy I am you know God bless Grant and Elena Cardone I am a ball buster I am a son of a bitch you know and that's the only way that tenacity take you to the top as an entrepreneur in business and uh, saw my stepfather do the same thing um, and build that practice Um, I knew I had it in me but when everything that you are told your entire life is not true. It makes uh, it, it, it. It. It's a moment that goes beyond verb words, goes beyond anything I've ever learned. Um. It was like I started my uh, when I started my corporation. I named it the Fifty Fifty Corporation because the first fifty years of my life, an actual wash. Hmm. waste of time. Not really. I learned a lot of lessons and did incredible things, and I have no regrets. I did not become a millionaire. I did not become that successful businessman. I didn't, you know, win an Oscar. All of the things I had planned to do, my family thought I would do. Disappointment to them. But I have another 50 years ahead of me, and I'm embracing the science of, uh, you know, of longevity and longer lifespans and uh, healthy living and... um, I'm a capitalist through and through. So, you know, the capitalist society and the capitalist agenda of working and producing and employing and creating and doing all of that is like, boy, I am down for that. Now, I can't believe I was not involved in it in my first 50. But my 50-50 plan and thus, you know, the channel I would like to uh, have speak to other people, it's amazing and it's frightening to think about how many 50-year-olds are sitting on their sofas watching YouTube or not even reading a book. I mean, smoking a joint and zoning out or just staring at the walls. There's so much mental illness and um, literal, like, paralysis amongst people. It's like everybody's agoraphobic anymore. They don't even get out. They don't interact. They game. They, You know, their thumbs are, like, the busiest part of their body. I want to speak to those people because they've already given up. And, yeah. you know... But you can have a second 50. You just have to put some effort into
0: it. Yes, uh, that's a good point. I'm curious about your, um, uh, the, your conservatism. So, um, and I'm always fascinated, just like, you know, Ari and I discuss this uh, between ourselves about, because we're both Jewish, and we both uh, found uh, conservatism. Later on in our respective we lives. Raised conservative. No. no, no yeah. Neither of us were raised conservative, in, in yeah, our different I mean, families.
1: Because I grew up, you know, in Palo Alto, Well, every, you know, it's all well, like it's, 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 it's interesting.
0: It's interesting. I actually
2: was raised conservative, but I wasn't raised with what I I credit Rush Limbaugh for bringing into my life, and Dennis Prager, and people like Barack. What brought us now with people who explain clearly why you should be conservative. Uh, so to me, conservatism <laughs> is um, not an ideology. It's more just the way life is. Two plus two does equals four. People do behave the way they do, right? The natural order of things are the natural order of things. Liberalism is is the chaotic overlay that people impose their immature desires upon what is right. So, but when you're raised. Like I was by um, say conservative Jewish, not as opposed to conservative political Jewish background there isn't a good uh, in the in the 70s when I was raised in the eighties there wasn't like good explanations for it like there is now conservatism as a as a mindset is is gone through a a, a, re, a golden age renaissance where we can now explain why we believe what we believe and what the 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 reasons for it were and I think a lot of it was when life was harder years before our generation people just saw these things as obvious and didn't need to explain them if you didn't chop wood you froze right you know <laughs> right. you know what I mean if the woman didn't pluck the chicken when the man came home from chopping wood there was nothing to eat right. you know. Right. So, so I always but, thought, but tell
0: me about your conservatism, like, Why is it that you was there anything about your being gay uh, that said to you, "Well, I guess I su- I'm supposed to be liberal"? Um,
1: well, but- I mean, I lived liberal, I believe. Okay. I mean, and I have been. It's a very strange, uh, you know, existence to know the human body, know the opposite sexist body, the female body. I am not. Repulsed or turned off by the female body. In fact, I find it very beautiful. What I think of me personally is inexperienced with it, and I don't like to be, a, you know, a greenhorn at anything. I don't like to be the new man on the team. I don't like to fumble around, mm-hmm. so to speak. So my inexperience is probably what. Kept, 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 kept me away But I remember just being gay From whatever memories I have As a young person Before you associate words with things And I'm like I knew that I was seeing things From an angle Little kid Men in locker rooms Like height I'm saying things that like I'm just too interested in this anatomy And I don't even know what it is And I just know I'm not supposed to talk about it mm. um, So I didn't mm-hmm. And then it was like you know, you discover this all by yourself. But I thought that just because I was gay, I was liberal.
0: Uh-huh. I Interesting. was
1: Democrat. Yeah. Um, but I was raised in a conservative family. And everybody around me in Palo Alto, um, Los Altos Hills, Palo Alto Hills, most of my friends were um, 70%. Jewish and they would go to temple and speaking to what you would say as I I asked my friends like now why do you go to temple or tell me about Hanukkah what and like they didn't tell me about Queen Esther and they didn't tell me about the seven candles and they didn't tell me they didn't really know they just accepted it and did it because it was tradition and tradition is what makes me believe that my Jewish friends were conservative because they had tradition and tradition Without tradition, we have nothing. I think in, in, whether we're you know mm. Christian, whether we're Catholic, whether we're Jewish, whether we're you know uh, Orthodox. I mean, I'm Greek Orthodox, so I, I know there's you know Jewish Orthodox. Uh, that, um, I find it also interesting when we get along, and I find that to be conservative. I find religion and order to be conservative because liberal now to me. Does Democrat will never mean anything to me any longer except out of control and burning buildings and destroying statues yeah, and chaos and yeah. chaos. Yeah. It yeah. will never be well, yeah. the two parties of you know Democrat Republican. Democrats I mean, just throw it away because it won't. It doesn't mean the same thing to me anymore.
2: And and to that point, uh, I think it was a Prager who said this that knowledge is knowing a tomato is a a fruit, right? Wisdom is knowing you don't put a tomato in a fruit salad. So the the analogy I bring to what you were saying about the Jewish community around you, which is congruent with my experience, was, okay, they could tell you what happened, like at the story of Babel or the story of Noah, but they didn't understand the wisdom behind it. It took... You know, a limba, a Beck, especially Glenn Beck in um, his Vox uh, TV show days, explaining some of these stories to make the point about how the Tower of Babel is the argument for individual liberty, for instance, which I, I didn't get that as a kid. I just, you know, these are the facts. This is what happened. This is when, yeah, you know, this is what they did. Um, and to me, in... in with the arc of, of hindsight, my own personal history, without the wisdom of knowing well why we're telling this story, the facts don't matter at all. The, it was useless information until the wisdom coalesced. it And Barack and I have talked, you know, over the years. We've done this this podcast about that aha moment that we went from, in my case, a a idiot commie to an enlightened conservative. It was a it was a switch where suddenly. Uh, You know, like one one of those movies. Oh, my God, now I see where all those parts of the mystery made sense.
1: And and once you go through that door, there's no going back. But we grew up in a time, guys, admit it. We grew up in a time when being a Democrat, being liberal, I mean, it meant this. It meant taking care of people. It meant trying to achieve utopia. It meant living, uh, you know, in ecological life. It meant being green. It meant being, uh, you know, uh, pro this or pro that, but we at least you had a stance and you could have a discussion. That's what a Democrat was when I was a kid. Republicans were these horribly, like, just like my stepfather, right? The attorney. Horribly wealthy people that couldn't understand the common living in an apartment building are you know struggling to feed their you know illegitimate children and um, you know all of, there was all these like factors that separated the two I mean there was Republicans and then there was low lives yeah it was Adolf
2: Eichmann at a country club it was Hitler who wanted to play golf all the time that's what we thought Republicans were yeah. and then and then they didn't want us to smoke our weed or look at our porn or you know hear us go hey hey ho ho blah 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 yeah, blah somebody blah somebody's you know. to go. it was it was but we look back at this and i think we both have the same experience it's such an idiotic cartoonish stereotypical bigoted image of compared to what we are as the reality well, the nuance of the full well, what in, we know in, about in ourselves in hindsight in hindsight, yeah. is the retro, in, in hindsight yeah. i
1: mean being a democrat meant at 14 i got to go to tower records and look at pornography if i wanted to you know and nobody was like looking over my shoulder right. now to me being, uh, uh, if I were still being a Democrat, it would be bringing bedlam to the world. Yeah. yeah well, to
2: make, to make the analogy complete, I hope I'm not wearing, putting words in your mouth, it would be we've gone from that, going sinking into Tower Records and look at the center folded penthouse, to now I'm going to burn Mark Twain's Huck Finn because there's a few words in there that are uh, distasteful.
0: Right. Or problematic. I, I, and I love all that I'm hearing, and I agree with all of that, although I do have difficulty understanding why you went to Tower Records for your pornographic thrills. But at the same time... <laughs> because the penthouse in Tower Records was not wrapped in plastic. Ah, I see. There's. They
2: had, like, that little head shop area, you know? You all right. Well, okay. Yeah. No, But what, what I do... He thinks he doesn't know because he got to Stanford. Uh, right?
1: Well, see, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, you two. <laughs> and Tower Records was right there... At Stanford, <laughs> right in Palo Alto, right there. I do remember.
0: T- I do remember the, Pal- the Tower Records in Palo Alto. I used to go there all the time. Anyway, the point is, what, what I what I like hearing. I have to bring. I have to bring these guys back. It's difficult enough with Ari, you know, it's, and now I have to bring Peter back. Uh, well, what so- do you need him for? <laughs> I'm ready. Let's go. Let's Let's, let, give let, give we, me that. Oh, give me that microphone.
1: Yeah. We are fighting <laughs> for mic <Mike> time. here
0: <laughs> So what I do like here about this Peter is that. Uh, much of what, you know, I thought I was going to hear something epiphany-wise from you, like, related to your uh, gay, uh, your gayness, uh, but it wasn't. It was like you just came to conservatism for reasons apparently not really tied to your being gay one way or the other. I mean, certainly gay informed you a lot, but I don't know that, that you know, I mean, you had your own no, independent view. I came view. to conservatism because I was bullied
1: into it, actually. But bullied by bigots and homophobes, bullied by millionaires and judgmental billionaires, the, you know, Snowbird set in Arizona, the um, Socialite set in San Francisco, the Peninsula crowd, the Stanford crowd. But I didn't know that, like, Stanford was this hive of liberal indoctrination. I didn't know that San Francisco, per se, was this liberal city, you know? I didn't know this because I was slowly becoming conservative. My family was so anti everything I did. I've had huge successes. Right. I've had incredible opportunities. And I was never met with like, joy from my family. It was always like, why didn't this happen? Is that all? or i would have this great job and i would have to come home for the holidays i'd be like i have a job now i'm starting a career nobody respected my career you know we don't want you to work we come home be with the family so every opportunity i ever built every like you know goal i achieved they destroyed and then tried to change me by either sending me into drug treatment which is a good thing or by not accepting or appreciating a single person that I had as a friend yeah. and I have known bomb vivants and I have known beggars and I have known presidents of corporations, um, retail corporations I mean I have known factory workers right they didn't like anybody, never liked anybody until the doctor came in my life, and right. they couldn't argue with that, and that's what they hit a brick wall with that. Right. They hit a brick wall with that, I became an entrepreneur. I wasn't going to die anymore from my, my HIV diagnosis. I survived that. And they could not celebrate that. They could not celebrate the fact that I was going to live... Um, and be this gay person. I was this terrible embarrassment for my family. And everything I did was wrong, and everything I did, they said, was
0: liberal. I wasn't liberal. That's, I was conservative. This is so fascinating, because, and that's why we're, I think we're going to call this bullied into conservatism, because it's exactly the phrase, first of all, that you used. And so, that you discovered, I mean, I, again, I don't want to put words... Hold oh, on, oh, word oh, oh, hold on. All, that, all right.
1: <laughs> God, I yes, can't, Norman he just... It's, <laughs> it's got to be like... Okay, so, fine. so, so, so.
0: What my point is that, and I, I don't want to get lost on this. The point is that uh, you discovered that conservatism was the much more freeing aspect of of a uh, way to go politically and, for that matter, socially. Uh, that you embraced conservatism because it was uh, an escape for you, more it was so. Real life. You discovered where the real bullies were, and they were among I mean, the liberals. It was reality. Yeah. Um, liberalism today. The
1: Democratic Party today, whatever they're doing on the left, whatever Nancy Pelosi is in charge of, there is no sanity, there's no grounding in what's real, what's carbon based with them. Sure, you can smoke all the dope you want, you can party with strippers, you can have a, a you know, Victoria's Secret wife, but you can't really have any security. Yeah. You never have any stability you I mean you know you think, listen we're in Hollywood here. I was in the industry I am an actor that's not acting um, I uh, if you see scars on me it's because of that my last picture I did I had a horrible workplace uh, you know injury in a big Hollywood story, and it like took me out of my career and to that nature here I am practically deformed, but I've recovered very well for everybody who can't see me um, my mother. Used it. And she said, well, I guess that Hollywood thing's not going to work out now. Huh. <laughs> no, like, oh, my God, it didn't go into your eyes. You, you know, you can see, or um, are you okay? Or, but this is painful. I had a uh, pepper, a light blew up, and my, my body was just peppered with molten glass. And it burned through my costume. It just, I mean, I'm, I'm disfigured, and I'm scarred. And I'm ashamed of it, because I was... Perfect, so I thought, and I was told I was perfect, and I was raised perfect, and I felt perfect, and I felt full of pride and full of dignity. And losing the ability to be like, you know, this good looking LeBlanc Surfer guy on the set with everybody really took its toll. I was diagnosed with HIV at the same time. I was disowned at the same time. I had nothing, I lost everything. All of the friends that said they were my friends, they were there with me when I lived in Los Feliz and had a Bentley. But when I lost everything, was diagnosed and got sick, I didn't have one of 5,000 come see me. Wow. And I lived at Stevie Wonder's house up there. I had a great pad. Nobody came to see me. So no matter how many friends you have in this town, they are never true friends. And the thing with these things are is we get these people to play the most wonderful people in our TV and movies. And I just love knowing the inside story of everybody's yeah. life. Oh, it's we are Such a what? depraved and dirty city. <clears throat> and can it's, I
0: say what? Too. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to say to wrap up. So it's about about the fickleness of leftism. Leftism, and it's really what it is. It's fickleness. They are fair weathered conservatism, which I love. It requires <clears throat> a foundational base, and something that you can really hold on to. And those friends who are conservative, and now no doubt you found a lot of them, I hope I'm one of them, of course, uh, that you know you can count on. I mean, like uh, that's that's the bottom line. And there are some things that are more important than just the flashy cars, the Bentleys like you talked about. Go ahead, all well, right.
2: Well, there's two parts of this. You talked about how, like, uh, a modern Pelosi philosophy de jour is you can smoke your dope, you can do this, you can do that. We know from our experience that you were just talking about personally and in the macro, in the, in the bigger world out there, well, those liberals that they say are your rights are just temporary until they change their mind. Read Huck Finn until you shan't. Look at Playboy until you until it's misogyny, right? Smoke dope until we come after you for it. Don't smoke dope until we tell you you have to. Do not uh, do all the drugs you want or don't do, just say no, until we make you take a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Right? So we know the fickleness that you, you just talked about, that your, your friends are there for you as fair-weather friends the same way your rights are there as fair-weather rights, until they change their mind and the new marching orders
1: come on from on high and we're on a new set of narrative du jour but in politics in politics um friends but the politicians uh let's see in my mid-50s now there is no cell on my being left that believes we have nothing but corrupt people in washington sure there are good people all right but the point is we're gonna have to scrape it Start new, good, moral, right, just people, and if they were good before the scrape, maybe they'll be able to come back. But I will go down to the mat fighting this point. You're naive if you think anybody in Washington has not gone there to enrich themselves and their family. It's when I try to think about these new things 1.8 trillion. $2.2 $2.2 trillion, 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 okay? That means that Joe Biden is sitting on a mountain of money. These people are sitting on mountains of money, and why can't anybody see that? We, we, all these trillions to the, to the people, right? Everybody got a $600 check. Wake up, yeah, people. Exactly. I mean, I just want new politicians. I want people to do a good job. I want people to do what they say they're going to do. Which is work for us.
2: Okay, and in contrast to the point I made earlier about how liberals have these, um, you know, capricious value systems in which they'll say, you can do this today and tomorrow it's a it's a thought crime and a cancel culture violation. With conservatism, we have, we have um, you know, principles that we stand by that are, if you will, the rules of the road, but... Even when you violate them, there are chances for redemption. So you can live a decadent life, but if you find God and change your ways, you can be redeemed. You can be a terrible person in many ways, provided you don't do a couple completely egregious things, you know, mass murder, etc. But if you save some child's life who's being you know, run over by a car, or imagine even a better analogy. You witness a criminal beating someone to death, and you do what's needed to save the victim's life. Now, it doesn't completely clear the register on you, but it is a, a very powerful credit in your favor the for the value the of deed. your soul and the, the value deed. of the you deed. as a person. Yeah, the, the deeds. You know, and and I, I can't help but see this amazing contrast, especially with how liberals constantly revoke. And, and again, we're speaking about modern liberal, woke liberals constantly revoke the passes they give you for things that you're allowed on the one hand, and then are completely devoid of any forgiveness or redemption for anything that violates a sin de jour.
1: Yes. But you know what we didn't talk about before, which is integral to your point, is these people that are making these uh, allowances, decisions, and cancellations, they don't have any history or credibility of longevity of events and, and, and you know, our, what our tribe does. They know what has happened yesterday and what is going on right now. They can't even see into tomorrow because when they try to manage tomorrow, it goes to the chaos. How can you make decisions and tell people what to do when we have millennia of history that we can draw upon? I mean, are we? they say we are, and it's really sad to think that it could happen again, but aren't we bound to repeat the past because every second generation, it's forgotten, you know? It's like before they used to strike the records, burn the libraries, you know, destroy all of the stuff. Now they just forget it, and they don't even study it. I mean... We, it is so frightening to think and I, and I do this treading lightly because I am one of those that I do like to reference things that I'm entitled to reference and I don't know about this but with you gentlemen I feel safe we are bound to repeat something like World War II because this is never going to get better. We, cannot, we can't go back. You know the box has been opened these people have been allowed to behave horribly I mean, what were you thinking the day you saw the first statue come down? Give me a break. I was so offended, and I was like, I wanted to be there. And yet, if we would have done it, we would have been arrested. Um, Like, uh, you know, if the Trump kids would have been like a laptop like Hunter Biden, they would be in jail. I mean, it's just so hypocritical. And you say, look, people, you're, you're behaving like hypocrites. And they don't see it. They accuse us of being hypocrites. And I got that with my family. I got that with other people. Like, you know, I, this is a real this is a real gay thing. Um, I had lots of girlfriends as a teenager, and uh, you know, twenties and thirties. But whenever the girl figured out she couldn't make me straight, she hated me. It became it became like militant, and that's my kind of. Foray into life mm. I'm always expecting people Once they know the truth They're going to turn on me So I learned how to be a people pleaser I became an actor you know, Nobody ever sees the real me I just get to play people Very comfortable mm. um, But I'm used to people turning And that's what the left does That's They just turn on you with no logic It's like you liked me a minute ago I'm the same person No, we hate you now
0: Well, the problem for that is And the reason I think for that very plainly, is that they don't have a foundation. They don't have a core set of beliefs. So it's very fickle. They'll go like a sailboat with, you know, that just goes whatever direction the wind takes it without any sort of rudder uh, that they themselves control. There's no northern star. And because of that, you're gonna have these fickle relationships like Ari the, the RE has so brilliantly put out a couple of times before. Um, it is a real challenge. And then you experience it in your own micro life uh, with among your friends and such. And it's, it's devastating. devastating. But what, what I find so fascinating about you, Peter, is how re- really it's remarkable. I, I, I look back my own past and I think, you know, I never had a predilection for gambling or alcohol or drugs or excessive eating, you He's know.
2: Such a loser! <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> yeah. You I,
0: I still yet. think this is my show, you isn't haven't it? I, lived I, yet.
2: <laughs> or maybe you I do have the secret. Just I'm not because sure. your no, names know. on it doesn't mean you own it.
0: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yes, Anyway, the point, the reason why I'm bringing this up is that I, you know, I, I had a very nice family, a great, you know, were they perfect? No, but but I'm very happy. I, I would I would gladly repeat. My upbringing so because I. It was very decent. And my, my father gave me a great upbringing. My mother gave me, a, I love my siblings. Everything it works out great. So, I, but I don't, I didn't have anything, shall we say, to conquer. Not in the way that you did. Not in the way, let's say, an alcoholic, uh, you know, when, when they say, I've been 15 years sober. Or a drug addict, same thing, right? Uh, or somebody who was horribly abused as a child, uh, even, God forbid, raped as a child, or something like that. And and uh, you know they get over it and they they conquer the lies. And I, I always so admire these people because, you know, they've been tested in battle, so to speak. I was never tested in battle, but uh, you you are still so inspiring, to me, and I know to all of our listeners the way you've spoken and how you've, you gave this analogy before about how you were grasping at uh, different limbs at anything and only to find out that that limb was, was just not stable at all to help lift you up. And instead uh, what did lift you up, you did find one limb and that was the limb of God and God was there and it lifted you out of this horrific, Situation that you were in, and I think also gave you the perspective. If, if I may be so bold, it gave you perspective about your family and their weaknesses and their evil and such like that. So, the comment that your pastor had said, I, I just want to put this out here, uh, that your that your wife, uh, your mother's third husband, had said that the pastor had said. In other words, a pure hearsay. Mm-hmm. That that you were an abomination. I don't believe he said that. I think that the third husband that you're talking about said that he said it in order to just dig at you because you're younger and you are uh, impressionable and you you, know, you you wanted to believe it, I guess. The point is that that is, um, I don't buy it for a second. I think that uh, your church was so responsive to your needs. A church that could have been as responsive as it was would never be a church that would say that, right? Okay.
1: He took it one step further, by the way. Um, it took me seven years to confront that moment, and uh, that happened about two years ago um, here in Long Beach, and they came up to visit. It just happened to be a you know a time when we were talking about getting hitched, and that uh, my business uh, you know I had got the first hundred thousand, and we had invested in things, and <laughs> things were much different, driving an, even a different car that, than they remember the, the pathetic dying son. And they literally came along, and they're like, his jaw is, like, on the ground. He just can't believe what he's seeing. Like, why is, Why are you driving that kind of car? And how did you invest that kind of money? And, and then, so, we get to the table, and I'm going to make some kind of announcement that, like, life is good. My diagnosis is now in reversed. I'm not terminal any longer. and this and that and all these good things. And I said, and I would think... You're here to apologize to me, Rich? And um, that was caught, met with such, like, uh, blinding, white-hot anger. Um, he told me, uh, because I guess, you know, I didn't have the wherewithal to confront anything, because I didn't want to die alone, like I told you, and I'm sub- keeping things cool with this family that treats me badly. He said, I never said that, and you're a liar. Why? Wow. And uh-huh. um, what do you do? You don't want to cause problems for your mother. You know, you, everybody loves their mother. You don't want to cause problems between a mother and a husband and a son. Um, I had to do the right thing, which was just kind of step aside. But I found it that not only did he do this thing to me, and then he lied about it and doubled down yeah, on saw, it. So
0: there you go. Look, we don't have that much more time. Right. And, and unfortunately, we're not going to be able to talk about the uh, Arizona recount or the, um, uh, the Fauci emails as, as I would like to. Uh, but you had some comments uh, about those two things. maybe It briefly- needs
1: to go until they find the answer. There's absolutely no reason why we can't search for the truth. Right. I don't see the problem. If there's one fraudulent vote, there's one fraudulent vote. I agree. That's not going to change the election. But still, people, come on. There's this logic sanity thing between the left and the right. right. I think it goes until we have definitive answers. And Fauci, personally, Mr. Fauci, wow am I betrayed? I feel so betrayed. I mean, we knew this from the beginning, and then you all told us that it was blasphemous to think this and feel this way and do this, and look what happened. I have friends that said I was crazy about the the theory of the lab, and I'm like, oh, come on. Oh, here is my thing. This is my thing. This is my soundbite for you guys today. We're at war with China. <laughs> I agree. We are at war with China. It is. They it have sent five viruses to us in the last, like you know, twenty-five years, or uh, this since this. Even,
0: even if it's just this one, I, I said this on a Sunday show about I don't know nine months ago when we were into the thick of the the shutdown. I said, uh, had the Chinese totally bombed all of Los Angeles and all of New York, they would have caused less damage than they did with this COVID virus. This is
1: worldwide. If anybody thinks we are not at war with China, they're foolish because even if this was not intentional, if this was negligence, the creation of it is like, oh
0: my God, people, what are you going to do? You know, they're going to weaponize it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Listen, I'm sorry we can not get more into this, but are, we are right, out of time about are. this. But what a blessing you are, Thank Peter, you. for this. And we want you on the show over and over again because... I you, only you're, you're, have
1: my voice, Barack, yeah. because of you. And it was a year ago that you told a very frail, damaged person who was trying to pretend like I still had a lot of confidence. I was beaten down. You said, you have a voice, you didn't know what it was, but you just said, this is very rare, you know, yeah. you. And I searched for it, and it's because of you that this voice is
0: happening. Wow. Wow. What a, what a flattering comment to me, but it, uh, that's exactly what I mean about you. Uh, I will leave it at that. And thank you so much for coming on the show, Peter. And uh, we will have you on many times again. This is Brock Larry signing off saying God bless, and we will talk with you next week.